श्री गुरु वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जाए श्री श्री गौर नितनंद की जाए गौर भक्त वृंद की जाए गौर प्रेम Any question tonight? Yes, Marsh. In, in the preface of uh, sacred preface, you mentioned that um, both Srimad Bhagavatam as well as Sri Chaitanya Chaitamita can be explained in uh, literally, satirically, and uh, interpretably, and still reach uh, the same conclusion. Basically, my question would be, what do you mean, what do you intend with this idea of reaching the same conclusion? conclusion. Well, the same conclusion is that um, the conclusion of our Sampradaya, which uh, um, casts the Bhagavatam in a particular light, a light that it itself um, shines forth with, um, if one looks carefully at it, which no lineage has done in the same measure as the Gaudiya Sampradaya. It was the very heart of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Balab also embraces it, of course, but he had the association of Mahaprabhu, Rup Sanatana, and uh, other associates of Chaitanya Dev. Um, and he has a commentary on the Bhagavatam, but it wasn't one that was that much appreciated by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as um, stated by Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami. So, it is a central book to our lineage and central to um, the entirety of the sacred texts. And I think that 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 particular conclusion can be arrived at either with the um, supporting evidence marshaled by Jiva Goswami in his Tattva Sandarbha, um, or forgetting all those arguments and employing arguments from our time, so to speak, um, looking at the text in relation to the greater balance of the sacred texts of the Hindus, looking at it in relation to other scriptural um, uh scriptures of other traditions, the Abrahamic traditions, for example, the Quran, the Bible. If you want to go further east uh, into the Lotus Sutra, um, there's not that many major uh, spiritual traditions in the world that have a religious and an esoteric or mystical um, orientation to them. And if you, if you look at the four or five, half a dozen of them or so, and their major texts and compare it to the Bhagavatam, they're impoverished uh, comparatively. It doesn't make them, uh, I don't mean to say that in a, in a, in a um, derogatory sense, and impoverished certainly sounds like that, but but uh, again, we spoke a little bit last night, and, and uh, uh, this is a point, of course, that uh, comes up everywhere, uh, that being that the dispensation is going to be relative to the uh, to the audience, mm-hmm. the speaker of the audience, and uh, even within the sacred texts, uh, to make this a non-sectarian argument, 
if you will, uh, uh, with, re- with regard to other traditions outside of Hinduism. Even within Hinduism, we comparatively, uh, objectively, can make the, a case for the excellence, I should say, the super-excellence of, of Srimad Bhagavatam, its richness um, in textually, its ri- in its language, um, in, in, in its in philosophy, in theology, <coughs> uh, <coughs> excuse me, and uh, just uh, uh, the practical reality on the ground, the attention that it's been given um, by the uh, subcontinent of India, it's been translated, uh, commented on in somewhere between 80 and 100 Sanskrit commentaries that are known. That's quite a task to comment on it in, in, in Sanskrit. I mean, you don't find too many commentaries on the on the Vayu Purana or the Kurma Purana or the Vishnu Purana for that matter, Padma Purana, which warrant more attention than some of the other other Puranas. The Bhagavatam is very captivating and um, and compelling, central to its story, of course, it's uh, is 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 the life of uh, of Krishna, a day in the life of Krishna, if you will, or many days, uh, an overview of his his uh, eternal lila. So, this is a form of God, uh, as I've mentioned, and this is what the Bhagavatam brings out that we can bond with emotionally. This is a very significant point because we are emotional beings. Really, we live in our emotional. Uh, reality, a reality that's that's denied from a materialistic point of view, hmm? that there is anything outside of the physical. Hmm? Um, so, without going into that, as I often do, <laughs> we, we're living in an emotional uh, reality, and here is a form of the Godhead with whom humans can bond with regard to practically all of their emotional um, experiences. And therefore, when we hear the, the beautiful rendering, depiction of the uh, leelas of Krishna, and he does the things that he does that are so human-like, there's, it's, that's the high point in the, in the talk. He does something cute, charming. He acts like us, if you will. We can make this emotional bond. This is a very significant point, because the other... Um, dispensations about the Godhead from the Buddha to the Christ and um, across the board and so you you don't have the same capacity to connect with that person, that being, that reality. So it's very gripping and it's had a very powerful effect on on India. It's been translated in all of the Indian dialects. Um, the, 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 The only two books amongst the sacred text that compare with the Bhagavatam in terms of their popularity and have some similar capacity would be the Ramayana. This is the story of his avatar as understood through the Bhagavatam, where he's also, Ram is also given some some chapters. Um, and, and the Gita, which is spoken by him, which is really the theological sequel to what's presented in the Bhagavatam. So there's many ways... I'm just going in, a, in brief here, that we could um, uh, 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 shed light on the significance 
of the Bhagavatam within the world of, uh, of revelation. Texts by different communities that are thought to um, c- come from beyond th- the realm of thought. Uh, their genesis is beyond the realm of, of, of word, hmm? even as they are written about and thought about and further written about thereby in commentary and so on and so forth. So uh, amongst the um, sacred books, this, this, should be, this point should be made um, to the public. Uh, leave aside whatever the traditions may say beyond the book, the book itself. I mean, the book of the Bhagavatam compared to the Quran. I mean, it's just, I'm just giving, just saying something I already said, forgive me for repeating myself, but there's just no comparison in the richness of the text and, and the, and the, 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 the uh, from a literary point of view, from a theological point of view, or the Bible. And those are, um, I'm not ready to read either of those, but I'm sure they're fine, fine books in some respects and speak about the deity and so forth. So, this is one of the conclusions of the uh, Bhagavatam, um, or, or our tradition about the Bhagavatam, and it itself, of course, has a conclusion. And its conclusion is, is, is in, from a tattva point of view, is that Krishna is the supreme personality of God. He's the fountainhead of all forms of divinity. So from that point of view, from a literal, an interpretive, or a, uh, what word did I use? Uh, esoteric um, explanation, um, you can arrive at the, at the same conclusion. Often the literal and the esoteric seem similar. But what we find in the esoteric is there are, there are additions hmm, that a literal reading and literal understanding don't afford us. In other words, you can read, literal is just, let's take the tenth canto for example, just tell the story. There it is. Hmm. Interpretive would be to 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 take the story and draw out um, philosophical insights, theological insights, insights that we can employ in our practice that will um, uh, enrich the literal understanding in such a way that we will be better empowered to proceed on to an experiential and thereby esoteric um, explanation of the Bhagavatam. So the esoteric or experiential explanation is one where, for example, you find the telling of the story and, and the, uh, the author or the teller is inserting new details um, 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 and taking us, let's say, for example, as Vishwanath Chakravitakura does in some places, into the in, in, in deeper into the the uh, implied uh, conversation hmm, uh, exchange between uh, Bhagavan and his devotees, and so on and so forth. So, in a very kind of a brief way, um, I would explain the literal the interpretive and the esoteric in that way. The esoteric, in some ways, looks more like the literal than it does the interpretive. Hmm? 
but it's very different. It is it, it is on it is spoken of it is or is it is given. Uh, it arises out of the ground of having um, imbibed the interpretive implications and um, standing on that ground of tattva, if you will, and real uh, bhava arises. I mean, this is the teaching of the Gita. What does the Gita say? This point, that the bhava arises out of the tattva. Hmm? Exactly. See, he's a guru. So Krishna says, he's basically saying, understand Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. Now you're in a position with that understanding to know where to repose your service such that it, that it can be reciprocated with in kind, where you can give such that you can actually experience the adage the giving is the receiving, because I, aham, sarvasya, prabhavo, krishnas tu bhagavan swayam, jejatamam prapadyante, I have the capacity to reciprocate. Hmm? Um, I'm the center. Hmm? So, I nourish the circumference. Know that about me. Give to me. And so this point that he's making, this is in the the uh, essential as it's thought, uh, four verses of the Gita coming in the 10th chapter, is the first of them. Basically, Krishna is saying the same thing that we, that the Bhagavatam's tattva is centered on. I am the source of everything. I'm the source of everything. Everything comes from me. He's saying it, repeating himself slightly, for emphasis. And knowing this, hmm, Hmm? One has a, 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 a um, significant and uh, essential point in place to proceed in bhajan such that they can uh, uh, attain the ideal of the Bhagavatam, the bhava of the Bhagavatam. So we have the tattva of the Bhagavatam, Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam, and we have the bhava. What is the how, what is the bhava in a word or two of the Bhagavatam? You heard, yeah. You're smart too. Jairadhe, this is, <laughs> this is the bhava of the Bhagavatam. Hmm? The tattva is Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. Hmm? It's Srimad Bhagavatam. So, um, uh, Krishna as seen and experienced through the through the eyes of of Radha and and Krishna thinking about that. What is the implication of that? What does she see in me that I can't see unto myself? And how can I see that? It's the search of Krishna for himself. This is the Bhagavatam. I mean, this is a very extraordinary theological. Idea that the world should be exploding over, hmm? at least the theological, the spiritual, the religious world, that such information, put your sectarian stances aside, so many things we agree on, find the common ground, and then see what the Gaudiya people are saying hmm, about the Godhead. Are they not presenting a Godhead that is, that is most lovable? Hmm? most accessible. He, he 
they're presenting him at the moment in which he's in, in search of himself. We are all in search of ourselves. He's like us, as I say. So it's a very um, so. This is this is the conclusion of the Bhagavatam, right? This is basically <coughs> what the Bhagavatam is about from from the point of view of philosophy and feeling. Hmm? And one can be oriented towards that conclusion and just hear the Bhagavatam literally or explain it literally. And we, we find devotees like that, right? They, at least they think like that. This is what they, they, they believe. Hmm? They're, they're believers, whether their belief translates into, into, the, into the heart affair that we call faith, whether their minds and intellect have been affected in such a way by sadhu sangha that they have a belief is one thing. Another thing is whether their their hearts have been affected significantly enough that they have faith. Hmm. Belief is a head affair, and faith is 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 a movement of the heart. Now there may be a little of each, but there is a tender stage of faith we call komal shraddha. Rupa Goswami has referred to it as such. Tender. Hmm? So it's a tenuous kind of faith, and it's, it's also uh, corresponds with a lack of understanding of the tattva. Hmm? Um, it's faith, but it's not well-grounded, hmm? well-anchored, so you could be blown over by the winds of the mind and, and the world and so forth. Hmm? The tattva's meant to ground us then, and then from there, as I say, the bhava will arise out of that same practice that, uh, that, the, that, the, that the neophyte engages in, hmm? but now with better understanding and so forth. So, so uh, in, in a sense, uh, I guess you could say that the literal interpretation lends more to the Kanishtadakari notion that the interpretive more to, to the uh, intermediate devotee, the Mandimadakari, who is characterized in the Bhagavatam by applying his or her intellect to the practice. The Bhagavatam's verse that uh, um, speaks to us about uh, the intermediate stage, nishta, uh, 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 focuses on this point. Nasta prayeshu abhadreshu nityam bhagavata seva. You have to use your intellect to study the Bhagavatam carefully. Hmm? The Gita ends with this conclusion. Uh, one should study this every word, inside, upside, downside, outside uh, of the text and so forth. So the applying of one's intellect is also what's involved largely in active conversion, the real, the real change and so forth. It's somewhat some hard work, if you will. And to, to land on one's feet there and, and, and then to progress to the esoteric, or you can say in this way, I'm, I'm explaining it at the moment, uh, to the uh, superlative 
devotee's position. Hmm. At least intermediate or superlative in terms of practice, hmm. ability to practice, or intermediate and superlative in terms of realization. Hmm. Both, uh, there may be some difference there, although there's obviously some over- overlapping. So it's possible, the point is, to hear the stories, even children hear the stories, hmm? and within the stories, hearing them, you can, for example, in the Bhagavatam, you can reach the same conclusion. Now, there's more than stories in the Bhagavatam of Krishna Leela, that's true. So there are many points to be made and so forth. Um, um, and uh, I think that it's possible to accept it all in a literal way hmm? without uh, the without thinking about it I'll, I'll give you an example um, in um, in some parts of this country there are people that believe in Jesus and the Bible and there are really good things that are said in the Bible about how people should be how they should act and so forth and they live kind of in their own communities and they and everything just works great they're real nice to one another they're kind they're they pray they're they're sincere they think about Jesus all the time it really kind of works for them um and in, in some respects, it's, it's, it's desirable. But when you get outside of that group, and there are other ideas, and there are other religious ideas, even, and they appear in with different dress and different names and so forth, then this uh, orientation that they have can become problematic in that they can be opposed and even aggressive towards other um, spiritual people on the basis of their literal understanding of the text. Hmm. So it works to a point and they can have the right conclusions. So there, so there are devotees who believe in the Bhagavatam and they believe maybe in it literally that the sun is closer than the moon is closer than the sun, whatever it is. Um, and um, that uh, whatever it says, so many, so many things that are mentioned there. And they don't they're not applying their intellect uh, to the text um, in in ways that enable them to sort out that that there's packaging to the essence of the text according to the time and circumstance that it's it's manifest and uh, and uh, and it's it's drawing on the the science of the time, uh, if you will, to. Uh, explain its own points and give analogies and examples and so on and so forth. Um, um, And so they can live in that kind of world, so to speak, a very sheltered and insular world in comparison to the rest of the world today, and they can probably do, do, do fine but the problem is it's hard, it's becoming harder and harder to live in such an insular uh, world, if you will, and uh, other ideas and thoughts and, and others, discoveries of, about the nature of the world, which is ongoing forever. Um, 
come to uh, to the fore, and you have to look at them in relation to the text and see what's essential in the text, what's not, what the text is saying that appears to disagree with this truth, but how can it? And then for you look at, oh, it actually it doesn't by by closer inspection and so forth, and or maybe this isn't a truth. And, uh, but anyway, that kind of exercise that requires the interpretive type of conclusion or uh, approach. Now, it's possible uh, to arrive at the same conclusion, and 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 and, um, but from a literal, if you were in a certain environment, and 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 um, and even. In a sense, it's a powerful way to look at the book. It's a powerful way to look at the book um, that really does foster your practice. It doesn't challenge your your intellect in certain ways, but it can foster the the practice. But you have an intellect; it has to be dealt with. Uh, so, um, so anyway, there 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 is scope for that. There's a place for that, and you can find devotees who I've met devotees in India or sadhus who believe in certain things in the Bhagavatam that are, you know, that, that, um, that might be hard for a more educated person uh, uh, to take literally. They take it literally and it doesn't, it's not really affecting their bhakti, it's, it's, it's even helping it. Mm-hmm. Um, That said, there is a strong emphasis in in the teaching to to as I say, I mean this 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 is, is a philosophical uh, tradition. So to be grounded in the tattva is and understand the scripture on in in a, in a more layered way hmm, is what Rupa Goswami is talking about when he says Shastra Nipun when he says. Um, uh, Shastra Yukti, um, when one has the ability to to reason about the implications of the scripture and land on one's feet and so forth, and uh, um, a scriptural kind of genius to understand the the import of it and so forth, this is evidence of or corresponds with stronger measure of faith, which which is what we want. The stronger the faith, we want to go to the world of faith. So. So, um, it's possible in a basic way to reach the same conclusion. Whether you can reach it and attain it, remaining with that kind of less than layered understanding of the text, well, kind of theoretically, that might, might be, you could, you, could, you, could, you could make the point. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't, we, we find... Like I, I remember once I was listening to a lecture of uh, Bhakti Sundar Govinda Maharaj, uh, and he was speaking about the from Chaitanya Charitamrita and Chaitanya Bhagavat, how Chaitanya Mahaprabhu um, was told by his guru that he didn't couldn't study Vedanta, he wasn't uh, qualified, and uh, and just to chant the holy name and so forth. So he's making this point. 
in the context of making this point, he was quoting so many slokas. <laughs> so, I, so I thought there's another there's another point here. Obviously, he, 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 he's he's gone a little deeper into it himself. He's making a simple and profound point that will be very helpful to the public who's listening, who who who, may, who maybe a more philosophical presentation would be off-putting and too challenging of their intellect, taxing and so forth. Um, but he himself got into it. And uh, so um, the books are there to be read. I read something today, Prabhupada said, and I'm the spiritual master and I'm writing these books and if they don't read them, this is Guru Avogya. This is uh, disregarding the Guru. My disciples aren't reading my books. Uh, So, uh, yeah, it's... it's, uh, and when you go to the interpretive perspective, of course, then this requires some good, good, good guidance and good grounding in practice and so forth. It's an exercise where we, where we, strengthen our heart with our head. It's like if I've given an example of putting steel in fire in order to strengthen it. You have to know when to pull it out so it doesn't melt altogether. If it gets heat hot enough, you pull it out, and it becomes strong, and it can go in for a longer period of time. So we need good association, and uh, and we need to harness the, the intellect rather than be abused by the intellect, used by it. By it. Um, it in itself is, is obviously an unsuitable vehicle for attaining that which is lies beyond itself, a transrational uh, reality. It has its place, and it needs to be taxed. And this is another way of looking at it. You need to tax the entirety of your being. That's what we call Krishna consciousness. That means the intellect has to be taxed as well. Hmm? Not everybody has to be some scriptural, you know, uh, wizard or anything like that, but... To, that to use your intellect to understand the teaching and uh, and uh, it grounded in the tattva, then you're in a better position, obviously, to to apply yourself. And then you, then to to come to the esoteric to live in the, live in the text and and to see the text in the world and um, and so forth uh, and to experience it. So. So uh, I, I, I'm kind of saying there, in one sense, you could be a Kanishtadikari, Madhyamadikari, Uttamadikari, had the same conclusion about the Bhagavatam. Hmm. Um, uh, you can reach the same conclusion as a Kanishta Madhyamaruttamadikari. Now, what the word reach means. <laughs> It may mean one thing for a, a neophyte, another thing for an intermediate devotee, and still another thing for a super, superlative devotee. Hmm. Um, Bhakti Vinod, uh, Puja said that, I think that he, that he said, that Bhakti Vinod said, maybe in Krishna Samhita, that that the Acharyas have mainly written commentaries on the Bhagavatam for, for, for neophytes. Their comments are mostly for neophytes. And um, 
he then was interested in explaining it for intermediate devotees or in a way that would help one to become an intermediate devotee. Hmm? And you find this then interpretive approach of, of Bhaktivinoda that's, that's uh, it's actually very, um, very appealing. Hmm? Um, especially in circles where the intellect is more active. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you tell the stories, explain it in a, in a, in a simple and literal way. Um, more people get on board, get involved. They get involved in, from a religious kind of, in a religious orientation, it's a good start. Preaching to Kanishtas, making, trying to make Kanishta Adhikaris is, is not a small task. Hmm? One time when uh, someone, one of his disciples brought up the Purimars that Sridharmarsh said that, you, that at one time you were a Kanishta Adhikari, he said, oh, Sridharmarsh has said, he's given me some Adhikar. Well, I'm very blessed to think like that. Now, Shidam, just as an aside, Sridharmarsh didn't think that he was a Kanishta Adhikari, but he was giving an example and of Kanishta, Madhyam, and Uttaman pointing to different godbrothers of his whose activities exemplified that. And because Puri Maharaj was very much involved in the deity worship, hmm, you know, all the installations of all the deities and so forth, this is the Bhagavatam's explanation. He believes, the devotee believes in the in the deity, hmm? he worships the deity, but he doesn't necessarily have regard for the Vaishnava. Not that Puri, obviously, Puri Maharaj had a great regard, but he, and he said, Madhav Maharaj, who was widely preaching in India at the time, Madhyam, and Swami Maharaj Prabhupada, Uttam, he said like this one, so you, you, you can make out of it what you want, but he wasn't calling Puri Maharaj so his own disciple having heard that from one of Gobindamara's disciples and so forth, he brought it up to him and he responded um, in that way. Oh, Sridhar Maharaj, he's, he's given me some adhikar for Bhagavad He's acknowledged me. And so it's a big thing, in, in a sense. Prabhupada's focus was, uh, he generally presented in a very literal way, the Bhagavatam. And in some senses, this literal way to present it is, he found, it was a very powerful approach to um, to uh, casting a a negative light on on Mayavad, where where a more interpretive explanation will be found at the cost of of Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam and Jayarade. <laughs> So Krishna evaporates right in in, in the Advaita Vad interpretation. So he shied away from an interpretive explanation, hmm? even though if you are grounded in Achintu Veda Veda, then you can take the interpretive approach. Hmm? But without grounding in that, and so in a, in a basic way, he sought to ground his disciples. He gave a very he emphasized in a literal way. If it was asked, for example, 
what do the five horses mean, pulling Krishna's chariot? He said, it, means it takes five horses to pull a chariot, you know. <laughs> he would answer something like that. Um, um, so, and, and a literal presentation, but it's a very esoteric point <coughs> that Krishna is, is God. That God is the chariot driver of Arjuna, that he is the, you know, is the son of Vishoda, the friend of Sridham, and so forth. Hmm? Lover of Radha is a very, very esoteric point. I mean, the more you go into it, the more esoteric it is. The reality is a person, and so forth. You know, we're a cell, and uh, in his uh, in his, his body, so to speak. So, Jagadavyakta uh, Murtina, and so on. So, I mean, he didn't go into that in some ways, but he was making a very esoteric point in the context of giving a very literal explanation and seeking to ground students in that. So it was very, um, it was very powerful in its time, and it made many uh, devotees, if you will. It captured the interest of many people, and it also catapulted them into volumes of service and practice. The idea behind that being that they were to get some experience, and when you get the experience, then you maybe then you you, you understand oh. Reality is nuanced. The spiritual reality is, is is nuanced. This verse might have many meanings and so forth. When you become acquainted experientially with what the texts are talking about through absorption and so forth, then it should cause the the mental uh, constructs to start to melt. Just like if you take a psychedelic drug or something, you start to think. Oh, there's different ways to think about things. <laughs> I mean, it's not the best comparison, perhaps, but um, it does have that can have that kind of effect. <laughs> so, bhakti will, will the co- mental constructs will be, uh, of how things work, what reality is, so they can uh, uh, will cause them to to melt. And so, in a basic way, then. If it's done right, there's much that can go wrong in terms of the practitioner. And with every presentation, there's going to be some upside and downside to it and so forth. So um, the idea is, of course, that they get experience and then they go on from there, right? It's similar to the idea that Prabhupada said, I planted a tree, I protected it by a fence. Hmm? So I kept it very insulated and... And, um, but in due course, if it if it's healthy, it will grow and extend beyond the fence of its own. Hmm? And the fence, which was so significant at one point, will become insignificant if not a, a, something to be broken down. Hmm? Um, so uh, it's that kind of presentation, that kind of orientation, whether it's given by the Goswamis, as Bhaktivinoda Thakur said, to the masses, hmm? um, or in, in modern times, as, as Prabhupada did, it has its value. Hmm? You have to start uh, somewhere. But um, the real success of that, you see, when, when some of the students start to progress and... and uh, understand it on, in a more layered way, hmm? which isn't to change anything. Hmm? Don't change. 
as he would say, but to understand it on another another level, hmm? and uh, and then to be to be able to explain it also effectively in new time and circumstance. That's required. The times and circumstances have changed since 1960, 1970 considerably. Hmm? So. So it's 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 a. It's kind of what I meant. Does that help? Yeah, so. But the interpretive explanation, this is, this is very valuable because this can, this can take us from the Kanishta and it, it, it creates a fertile ground for going to the esoteric. What else? understand the question. At least people are real and provable. Mm-hmm. Well, um, what that type of question uh, is uh, the premise on that type of of that type of question is that is that the the stories, the Krishna Leela, for example, the stories of the Bhagavatam, are as you say uh, folklore, and in that sense they are mythological and have no real truth to them, um, but. Uh, that is not um, an accurate um, understanding, even from an academic point of view, uh, of the nature of the stories, for example, of the Bhagavatam. Because if you uh, you take the stories of the Bhagavatam and the Puranas and so forth, they are not historical, but they are not without historical content. Hmm? And that's an important difference. They are not historical in a modern sense of historical, but they are not without historical content. Um, so, you uh, you take, for example, uh, now there are movies or books based on a true story. You can do a biopic of such and such political figure, and it's based on a tr- based on a true story. The person actually lived; he actually did many of the things in the story. But the story, the movie, is being told because the director, the producer, wants to bring out a certain angle and tell another story. Tell a story that's, that's hidden, that's, that's beneath the historical, literal, he did this at this time, at this time he did this. He felt this. Now, how he felt... It's hard to record that historically. Hmm? Uh, it, it, so it, it's just an example of 
and so the story may be told in different ways, and the ways that it's told may be a departure even from the historical truth because something may be added in, something may be subtracted out, hmm? in order to bring out a more layered uh, 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 truth. Um, So we do this even in, there's a, a modern genre for this of literature and the arts based on a true story. Uh, so um, uh, you can call it a mytho-historical, um, would be one way of mytho-historical meditative stories. Hmm? So they're just, we talk about the first part. Mytho-historical means that they're, they're grounded in truth. In other words, there was a person named Krishna, for example, Okay, he lived in the world some thousands of years ago. This is a historical truth. It's pretty much concluded that this is a historical truth, and there's evidences and so forth. So, whatever. Now, then, what he was like, what he meant to the people. And that means how they experienced him, how his life impacted them transform their life, what it caused them to feel inside, and so forth. That's what uh, the texts are bringing out. Now, each of the texts, to be more specific, you're talking about this Purana, Mahabharata tells the story this way, and Upanishad, it comes partially this way, in this Purana, it comes that way, in the Bhagavatam, it comes this way. So obviously, it's just weird. But no, they're all telling it from a different angle of vision. What is the angle of vision of the Bhagavatam? What is the author of the Bhagavatam trying to say, trying to bring out? And, and, and that's what's important. And that is such a rich theological and philosophical concept about the nature of the Absolute that um, the last word in what's true is not every historical detail. Hmm? The historical details are very much like on the surface of of reality. This happened then, this happened then, he did this then, he did. How he thought, how he felt, how others felt about him, and so forth. Um, to capture these um, experiences and and the beliefs that and and the philosophy, the worldview. That arose out of that. This is what the what the texts are trying to do. So they're very important texts. They're they're like history plus. They're not they're not an absence of history. They, they they're grounded in all of the stories are grounded in some truth. You could say then they're then they're exaggerated upon or something like. But these are that's not a really these are very such explanations folklore. Exaggerations. These are antiquated ideas, even in the academic community today. They're antiquated ideas. They're very, um, how would you say, Orientalist. They're very um, um, imperialistic. Uh, what's another word for it? Um, uh, 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 colonial. 
colonialized. <laughs> In other words, we're taking over this country here, this culture, uh, and and we're telling you, you know, what's important and what's not, and what they really believed and felt. And it, it, we believe differently, we feel differently. So that's all to be thrown out, and and so forth. These are very um, insensitive approaches to or explanations, descriptions of what these these texts that have the have had the power for centuries and in an ongoing way to transform people's lives. Hmm? And you have to look and see how they transform their lives. Is that desirable that they at the baseline they turn someone into a into a, into a, a compassionate person who who cares for the whole world hmm? who won't uh, who who who's um, uh, who's nonviolent? Just to use some basic worldly sensibilities: compassionate, kind to others, uh, um, uh, nonviolent, uh, kind. Are these not desirable? And, 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 and these are baseline effects, if you will, from studying the books. You take the life of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. You can say, what is the use of hearing these folk tales? Well. If it could make you like this, hmm? that 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 that, that uh, here's a historical person, empirically speaking, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and then the culture around him. So many people wrote biographies of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So many of them, and there's so much common ground between them. What what they're saying, they're really explaining what what they what kind of an extraordinary person he was. What he did to them. The things that they're talking about, about him, are the things that he did to them, made them feel this way and be transformed in a very positive way. Um, I think it's very difficult to argue that the transformation is, is not positive. Now, there are different degrees of transformation that are going to come from the text because it's, it's a culture and, it's, and bhakti is, you know, has uh, stages and so forth. But when we look at the sadhus, the saints and so forth, hmm, then, um, again, universal compassion, isn't that what everybody wants or everybody agrees is, is desirable? Where do you find a, a, you know, a, a better examples of such? Hmm? Of self-sacrificing and so forth. So it's it's very um, um, they're very powerful books. What uh, uh, again? What Chaitanya Mahaprabhu? The, the ecstasy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu that he would hear the books, the songs from the books, verses from the books, and weep in ecstasy, and his body would transform in ecstasy from hearing the stories. Is Krishna true? Is the ecstasy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu true? You could say, well, I think it was epilepsy. And people are just exaggerating. That's the Orientalist perspective, the imperialistic, the uh, colonial perspective. Do you understand? That's what they said originally. He seems like he was an epileptic. But it's not contagious, epilepsy. Hmm? And what Mahaprabhu was about, it was contagious. Hmm? And others experienced it as well. The whole whole group are now epileptics. Look at the way they're writing, how they're feeling. You feel when 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 Brindabandas Thakur writes Chaitanya Bhagavad and he says, 
and he sees Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as the same coward boy, Krishna, and he, and he pines to have been there and have been amongst his students. And so the, the feelings that he has are very, very powerful, or the feelings of Krishna Skabiraj Goswami for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and the vision of Ramananda Roy. They, they were, had very, very strong bhakti impressions that they derived from his association that made them the people that they are. Therefore, I often say, it may be difficult for someone to believe in God, but it's not difficult to believe in the love of God. Hmm? The books, the way they're written, who, what kind of mad person has written like this, felt like this? Hmm? I mean, they're very desirable uh, feelings. Hmm? So, it's a, it's a, it's a, a very impoverished way of uh, describing the text. That, and it, it, that it's a you know it's a folk tale, it's a myth, uh, and all the negative implications of such folk science, uh, folk psychology, uh, folk tales, and that we have the real psychology, we have the real story, and we have the real science. We'll give it a hundred years, and see what the real science is today, what the real psychology is today. Hmm? What the reality is, you know, thought of. Uh, it, it, it's uh, and and what is the and today I would say that the person who makes such a statement, uh, I don't know, maybe they're from another religion, but let's say they're non-theistic, uh, making that kind of a statement. Um, it would be difficult for another person from another spiritual tradition to say that because they have their stories too, right? The story of the Jesus and the Muhammad, and those could be called folk tales as well, right? No, yeah. They're more, more, more recent. They have some, but there is, there is, there is more evidence for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu than there is for Jesus <laughs> historically, and so there, there will be theistic Christian historians who really think that they've nailed it historically, Jesus was actually here, he did this. There are plenty of historians that think, uh, really? Uh, I don't think you have all your facts straight. So, um, at any rate, let's say it's, not, it's a non-theistic person that's making the statement that, that, that you ask about. Then you can turn it, besides saying what I've said, of course, you can turn it back on them and say, well, you know, look at the myth that you're living by. Here is your myth. The, modern, the myth of modern science is that... Um, that give us time and we will all attain uh, salvation. Hmm? Everybody's pushing the same thing. Modern science is is pushing salvation. Salvation through mechanization, through, um, through science. You can go to, be, go to robot, you know, heaven. Robot nirvana. In other words, we can, we can, this thing can go on. Hmm? Um, and we're going to turn people, we're going to prove that you're just a robot. Hmm? And there's nobody really in there. And once we prove that you're a robot, then we can 
knowing the parts completely, we can replace them and you can live forever. So modern science is also promoting, it's a, it's a, it's a salvation myth, a salvation story that people are believing in. They believe that if they believe materialism is correct, they believe that there's a possibility, this is implicit in materialism, that there's a possibility within that of living forever. Therefore, the wealthiest people in the world who are not theistic necessarily, not that some wealthy people aren't, but those who are not, are spending their money and lots of money investing in the possibility of having your body frozen, or, or there, there are other techniques. There's, there's medicines now to stop aging that, are, that, that they're investing in. And it's quite a wealthy uh, you know, um, industry, industry for the wealthy. That's where they're spending their money. You cannot deny this is the import and the pursuit of materialism. The pursuit of everyone is to live on. Hmm? No one wants to die. We are exist- resisting impermanence. We are resisting... Um, death with our every breath. Hmm? And we're employing uh, facts that we find out about the world, putting them in the hands of techn- technicians. What is, what is the whole thing about? Improving life, increasing longevity, health, longevity. This is the goal. So the myth of, of, the, of, of modern um, science, if you will, is salvation through robotization or whatever. Do you want to go to a robot heaven? Do you want to live forever knowing that, that, that there's no you, really? <laughs> there's, there's no overarching meaning or purpose? In life? I mean, materialism is, 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 is a philosophy in which meaning is made up. It makes up meaning. There is no meaning. There's no meaning that you know, that one atom bounced against another. There's no meaning to that. Do you understand? But we make up meaning. Hmm? We think that humans are driven to make up meaning or something by their brain. They're, they're hardwired to make meaning out of things that, that's, that's not really, really there. So, from the, the very... In, implicit in materialism is that you make up meaning. So why are you complaining about somebody that's made up a meaning about Krishna? <laughs> You're making up meaning too. Hmm? Now what is the meaning that you've made up? What, it's, you want to make this live forever, if you will, materially. Uh, it's, a, it's an interesting idea. Many people reject religion because of the problems that come from religion. But the problems within religion don't address the successes of religion. The Rumis, the Chaitanyas, the Jesuses, these people are valuable. I mean, their, their examples are extraordinary. They're desirable. Their company would be desirable. You're not going to get any of those. You can talk about secular mysticism, but we haven't seen the first secular mysticist, mystic yet who is now content to sit in his room forever hmm? and be and love everybody and everything. Hmm? We find this in great religious traditions, these types of people. So the secular world hasn't produced them yet. 
you can dis- so it's a very shallow um, argument and and the argument that they buy into if you will materialism is extremely shallow and empty it's meaningless it, you know and then you want to debate about free will what's the meaning of debating about whether there's meaning is there any meaning to that I want to have a debate with you about whether there's in other words if there's free will then there's meaning right there's purpose hmm? So you want to debate with me whether there's meaning. I mean, am I going to attend to that? It's ridiculous. The premise is ridiculous. Why do you want to debate it? To, to convince me that, there's, there's the, that the meaning is <laughs> that there's no meaning. Which is circular. <laughs> I mean, so there is meaning, okay? But then you want to look at it like that. It's... it's uh, in, in, and so, you know, now, much of the secularism has virtue in relation to, mis- to abuse of religion. Hmm? Abuse of religion. That in the name of religion, people become harm har- hard-hearted. They become sectarian. They become uh, nationalistic. They become homophobic. They become... Um, Sexist, uh, they, 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 or whatever it may be, and and feel uh, uh, rather than the enmity towards others, they lack compassion for others, and their and their basis of it is some religious dogma that they're citing. Hmm? This is again, this is a, this is problematic, obviously, and so, and there may appear to be virtue in the secular, progressive uh, perspective, when it's a counterbalance to those things and calls those things out for what they are. But then to say that that is what religion says, that is, 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 is to err uh, in, in, in another way, and then to lose out of the, um, uh, of the, the real virtues of the mystical um, tradition, hmm? uh, the finding, if you will, of truth, of meaning, that we're all driven you know, to do as human beings. Does that help? Yeah. It's a very shallow idea. Those are just folklore. You had a question? No. All right, we've gone a little over time. It is interesting that modern psychology came to one theory which is quite much confirmative about Gaudiya Vaishnava perspective of meaning of life that you were talking about. It's the so-called paradox of hedonism or paradox of happiness. And uh, it states, you can see it in like Wikipedia, it's very well explained, it states mainly that um, uh, happiness is such a phenomenon which cannot be achieved by aiming it directly. By aiming it? Directly. By pursuing it directly? Aiming it directly and pursuing it directly, it can only be achieved indirectly through like service serving some idea or another living being uh-huh I'll have to look that up sounds interesting and uh, many famous psychologists and you know, scientists of ethics have written and so it, they came to that conclusion mm-hmm. yeah yeah paradox of happiness or paradox of happiness so yeah. so so happiness comes from from Giving rather than taking, for example. Yeah.
good. We say that. As you say. All right, we'll stop there. Shri Shri Gornatananda Ki Jai. Godi Vaishnava Guru Parampara Ki Jai. Goa Bhakta Vrinda Ki Jai. Godi Premanam Deva.